Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin' Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're also available beyond the FM dial. You can stream us worldwide live and in the moment at RadioNorthland.org. And if you happen to miss us live and in the moment, you can also stick around RadioNorthland.org, go to the Rasslin' Memories page, and we've got plenty of interviews. Oh man, there is a, a great bunch, a great batch of interviews from the past eight years. Uh, it's just some good stuff, and we keep on booking good guests. I'm Glenn Broggett, along with my co-host, who is not in his mobile studio this week, deep in the heart of Texas. It was by a stroke of luck he got to go to the main studio. He got to go and uh, sit, I guess, in more indoors, should we say, Mike McCurdy. But yes, uh, Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy is not suffering from any Texas heat, and we welcome him once again to Rasslin' Memories Then and Now. Yeah, I'm in my home studio for the first time in seven months, you know? I got all my memorabilia around me. I got my good microphone. You know, I'm, I'm where I should be. You know, the pandemic sent my kids home from school for seven months, but thank Lord they went back uh, Monday. All oh. things are good. No exposures yet. So let's keep it that way. Let's keep it good. Let's hope it goes well. Uh, yeah. Well, your home and your studio. I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with kids because the wife and I don't have any, but I think if I had a, you know, I'm going to, I'm working and I've been teasing the idea of uh, getting a home studio set up and get out of this uh, radio station every once in a while. But I got three dogs to contend with and uh, boy, I don't know, man, you probably hear a bunch of uh, a chorus of, of, of three Shih Tzu dogs. Uh, I don't know if that would work just now. Well, you know, one thing, and I'll, I'll just put in the cheap plug. Obviously I also record offshoots TV live stream on, uh, through Facebook, uh, Thursday nights, 8 PM, our time change at 8 PM, uh, central time. And every once in a while with a live stream, you might see the studio door open and a child might pop in to say hi or something while I'm live on screen. So, you know, kids make it interesting when you have your own little home studio, but I make it work. Yeah, so I I get to be here in the lovely radio uh, station. I don't, no no memorabilia, no nothing. I, I got a couple of uh, empty soda cans that I haven't uh, disposed of just yet. But we're here. We're getting comfortable, and we have a great week uh, and a great guest this week on Wrestling Memories Then and Now, Mister McCurdy. We do, man. I'm looking forward to talking to, with this gentleman. I've had a chance to have many a conversation with him, obviously at Cauliflower Alley Club uh, reunions, but. You know, it's going to be fun to kind of do an interview, talk about his career and what he's doing now, because I don't, I don't want to age him. I don't want to make him no, feel no. old or whatever, but, you know, when I was a kid, or maybe not kid, teenager, you know, late teens, whatever, I loved, you know, like Wrestling Eye Magazine, Wrestling Fury. Those are like two of my top favorite magazines, because those seemed like the ones that were real. They weren't the after mags that were promoting the WWF and all their storylines. They were the real ones. So I'm going to have a chance to talk with this gentleman about those as well as currently what he's doing now. Oh, man, you bring up Wrestling Eye, man. That was another magazine I absolutely loved. Always got it at the same drugstore uh, just a few miles up the road in a, in a nearby town. It was always a highlight to get that magazine. And, yeah, you know, it was that Wrestling Eye, Wrestling Fury, Wrestling World, and uh, well, Wrestling's main event. Those kind of were the, 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 the magazines I went to as more of an alternative to some of the Western uh, uh, magazines. Not that I didn't buy those, too, but I had a lot of magazines to read. But anyway, I did like those, but it was always nice to have that alternative and i really really loved uh wrestling eye wrestling fury and all the others that were uh you know not just the the pro wrestling illustrated and the inside wrestling sports review stuff of the magazines of the world all right you know i growing up i bought every magazine possible when i moved out here to texas i had to get rid of a lot of them but i had probably Oof. 30 years of wrestling magazines like just in boxes i had to get rid of most of them sadly how could you, you know, 
That's blasphemous. I didn't have. I didn't. I didn't have an alternative because the price to ship them out here would have been so expensive. I hated getting rid of them, though. I kept some of them. I kept. I went through them and kept a lot of the good ones. Man, this is almost yeah. like the equivalent of the of almost like the equivalent of the final scene of Old Yeller. That quite the decision you had to make. Yeah, I wasn't happy with it, but you know, I'm oh. kind of building a collection back up again now. Uh, my brother is uh, doing that right now, and he's got like every damn magazine for the past thirty so years. Uh, I don't. He doesn't do much of the nowadays stuff. He's more of a, 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 a more of a retro guy. But anyway, we got to bring this guest on because I wanted to talk to him as well about his great new program. It first landed on YouTube, and now you can get it wherever you get your podcast. It's called Contrary to Popular Wrestling. This guy's been he's done he's done a lot of crazy fun things in the and memorable. Things things in the world of professional wrestling and i can't wait to talk to him about his career and also his new program so hey, without any further ado carmine Desperto, uh pardon me a uh, welcome to wrestling memories then and now oh my absolute pleasure to be here guys Oh, and it's so nice that you're able to take some time out. I, you've been working on this brand new program, and I absolutely uh, I love that. I, I saw uh, first was aware of it uh, on your Facebook page. You were promoting was one of the earlier episodes, and when I'm here in the studio, I have a lot of downtime where I'm just not you know I need to have something on while I'm doing working or typing or data entry. And this show like sucked me in, man. I didn't listen to them in order, but. One of the first episodes I listened to was uh, the, your part one of your AWA look back, uh, the Eddie Sharkey right. stuff, the fabulous Moolah stuff. How did you get, uh, when, or what made you decide to get into the game as far as, you know, first the YouTube sh show and now this podcast? What made you to finally decide that, you know, I have so many years in the wrestling business, I've got some good friends, I've got a lot of things to tell, I've lived through some things. What made you decide to get together uh, with your co-host and put this t uh, show on? And it's really good. I just got to compliment you on it. But what made you decide to do it? Oh, well, thank you so much for the compliments. Um, you know, it came about out of uh, the pandemic, really. Uh, I was asked to do podcasts in the past. In fact, I was asked to be a guest. Uh, and a few podcasts I actually turned down. Um, I just, uh, I didn't have anything really to promote. And, um, you know, and also, um, you know, I decided if I could find somebody that could produce this thing, that could do it right, that, um, that could uh, edit it, uh, and be reliable and so on, then I would be open to it. And, and during the pandemic, I was uh, getting bored. So uh, I hooked up with James Southard, um, who is a prodigy. This kid is 19 years old, doesn't own one wrestling figure or one replica belt, and knows more, of, well, more about wrestling than anybody his age, definitely. I mean, he surprises me sometimes. And uh, when he doesn't know something, what he does, he jots it down and then he does his research, you know. But uh, the kid is just a prodigy and uh, I'm very happy to have him on board. And, you know, um, after listening to a lot of podcasts, I thought to myself, you know what, exactly what you said, Glenn, that I have stories. I have my own stories. I have my, my own interactions with guys and... Um, you know, I'm very proud that I'm a very well-respected person in the business. I have a great reputation. I've been around since 1986, uh, the first time I had a, uh, a photo published in a magazine. And I've gone on since then. And, you know, I, I was a manager for many years. I did numerous tours of Europe. I worked with a lot of big stars. 
And, um, you know, then I became a promoter in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, promoted there from, for, for, uh, 14 years. A lot of big stars, uh, started with me in the Midwest, uh, Ken Anderson, Punk, uh, Pierce, Seth Rollins, a uh, whole slew of guys. And then I've, I've dabbled in other things too. I've dabbled in Lucha Libre. Um, I worked with championship wrestling from Hollywood most recently this past year. And now I'm doing the podcast. So something to keep me busy and something that I enjoy. And uh, I get a chance to speak to some of my old friends um, and speak to a lot of the guys that I really, truly respect. Like this uh, yesterday, we taped our third installment of the Untold Stories of the AWA. And we interviewed uh, Kenny J, the sodbuster, Kenny J. Yes. And, uh, of course, most memorable for his 1976 bout against Muhammad Ali. So we went into detail about that, and it's a story that I've never heard told in detail. Um, and also, along the same lines, I mean, we interviewed Baron Von Raschke, and um, the same with him. I've never heard um, a detailed story of how the Baron came into existence. So we also... Uh, we got that in the can as well, and that'll be dropping this Sunday night at 11.59 p.m., um, and it's pretty cool. You know, Baron talks about how the claw came about, how he shaved his head and became a German, and so on and so forth. It's, it's pretty neat. Yeah, I really love the the AWA stuff that you've you've done. Now I, I'm excited they listen to what you have uh, recorded here recently. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, in your AWA segment that I really enjoyed, and you were able to have a full episode with him, is a guy that I, I think that his should definitely uh, get get a lot more credit than he's due uh, than he's been given as far as you know in the AWA in the state of Minnesota. You know, you have Vern Gagne in the AWA, but people got to remember just how significant and how important Eddie. Sharky was to the story of professional wrestling and on those shows uh, when it was the AWA tribute the uh, Road Warrior tribute and Eddie on his own but just a straight up interview you really got some great stuff out of Ed and I think it's just really a great way to keep uh, Eddie Sharky awareness out there for fans who uh, want to talk Minnesota wrestling and want to just get beyond the AWA well absolutely you know something um, I was very surprised I, I asked Eddie um, the other week when we did the tribute to animals I said, how many podcasts called you about having you on? And he said, none. So <laughs> that's insane. We're definitely filling a gap here. Um, I am very surprised. Like, why wouldn't anybody call Eddie Sharkey for an interview? The man who trained the road warriors, Bob Backlund, Rick Rude, Jesse Ventura. I mean, such a huge list. Medusa Michelli, uh, Austin Aries, uh, Sean Navari. I mean, you name it. The guy has broken him into the business. And, you know, he's a very humble guy. He's very modest. And, you know, he always repeats the same thing, that he was just there at the right place at the right time. And, um, you know, he was. But a lot needs to be said about him himself. I mean, he, is, um, he has contributed so much to the business. Um, I mean, he kept guys in the business that wanted to quit. I mean, some of these stars that we talk about, you know, could very well not be in business if Eddie didn't encourage them, if they didn't think they had a future and so on and so forth. So he was a very good motivator for a lot of wrestlers. 
Yeah, and for Eddie Sharkey, uh, up here in Thief River Falls, I, I came from a nearby town even further north, but uh, one of my earlier pro wrestling show memories was uh, going to a pro wrestling America show held here in Thief River Falls at the old Ice Arena. It was uh, back sure. in uh, it was back in fall of 87. It was right around, the, I can remember this because I, I'll never forget it. It was game six of the World Series between the Twins and the Cardinals where the Twins racked up a bunch of runs and forced that game seven. And we got there and it was kind of snowing and apparently it got worse as we we made it into the arena and the van and it turned out the uh, the truck with the ring ended up being like an hour or so late i watched uh, tom burton put the ring together and this mm-hmm. card was was something eddie sharkey was the referee i remember seeing and it was just a few weeks out uh, from him leaving the uh, world wrestling federation tom zink made an appearance there out of all the places in all the world thief river falls was where tom zink was at, at an eddie's show and it was just really cool and i've seen eddie's up here a couple of other times at pro wrestling america through the years and i got to watch him too on winnipeg television when he worked with tony candelo uh for the uh, west war wrestling alliance and they had shows uh did some TVs leading up to the big Winnipeg Arena show with the main event of Bulldog Bob Brown and Bruiser Brody, where uh, they didn't quite get the attendance that they had desired. They kind of took a bath financially on that. But that's really where I remember Eddie and and him managing the Terminators as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I mean, Eddie was a successful independent wrestling promoter at a time when you didn't have a lot of independent wrestling promoters in the country like you do now. I mean, um, you know, back in the um, uh, late 80s, uh, early 90s, uh, I mean, PWA, Pro Wrestling America, uh, they did a lot of really good business in the Minnesota area. Oh, yeah. You're talking about with Sean Waltman and Jerry Lynn. They had some of their best matches uh, in Fridley Mm -hmm. at at George's Bar. Think about a lot of people don't know about that. And, you know, and then uh, speaking of Pro Wrestling America and a guy that uh, I hope that you get in touch with and have on on an upcoming show because he's a really good guest was Charlie Norris. And he and yeah. Charlie talked about in the interview uh, just how important and still to this day how tight he is with Eddie and just with the, what a connection they made all those years ago when he discovered Charlie, brought him into the wrestling business. But, you know, after the business, you know, after he retired, they still managed to maintain that friendship. And, and he, Charlie, whenever Charlie talks about uh, Eddie, he has such a deep love and respect. You just can tell that he really genuinely uh, loves the man. Oh, well, Eddie is such an interesting guy, too. I mean, there's so so many facets to Eddie Sharkey uh, is and, and was. And, you know, he was a shill in Vegas for many years. He was, uh, he did the at shows, one of the last uh, at show guys. Uh, and did the carnival circuit in the Midwest with um, Gene Anderson. And, uh, you know, they took on all, all, all comers. Um so he's a really interesting guy, and um, you know I love him. I've known him for years, and he said, "Carmine, anytime you need me, just call me." So sometimes, <laughs> in the past, like uh, actually with the uh, Joe thing, uh, our our World War Animal tribute, uh, we just called him and said, "Eddie, we're going to call you back in ten minutes." <laughs> sure, no problem. <laughs> so, what a pro, man! Yeah. What a pro. Yeah. And yeah. Then, you know, he had a, he had a very close connection with Joe. He, he tells a story. I don't know if you heard it on the podcast, um, but, um, about how when, uh, Joe was trained, he didn't have the money, uh, to pay for, uh, lessons at the school. 
So years and years and years later, at a WWF show, Eddie was uh, refereeing, and Joe just comes up to him and just hands him, out of nowhere, a handful of cash. And Eddie said it, it was $900. And, like, no words were spoken. He knew that, you know, here, Joe, years later, is making good on it. And, uh, you know, it brought Eddie to tears. It brings him to tears when he talks about it. Um, you know, uh, Animal was such a good guy, so, such a genuine person. And um, what a tragedy to lose him. Um, you know, so, one so of the unexpected moments of another unexpected moment of 2020. Yeah, the awful that just keeps on keeping on that is the year 2020. You know, you, we talked about the AWA, and I think, and something I did last year, I had an episode where I, I brought in uh, some of the uh, the guys, the preliminary guys, the guys that put over the big stars on the TV shows. Uh, I, I ended up doing a program with uh, Chris Curtis, uh, Mike Richards, Mike Moran, sure. and, uh, sure. and and Tom Rocky Stone. And uh, when I, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I know it does Tom Rocky Stone. We'll get into Tom Rocky stone but the thing was uh when i heard i was listening to your shows and then i saw one week you had uh, an awa tribute episode you uh interviewed frankie defalco the thumper i mean that was a guy that i uh, just be, we, I, I wasn't able to get him onto the uh, the round table but man alive boy did you get a live wire i you kind of got more than what you were probably initially expecting because it was supposed to be what a segment kind of part of the big greater uh awa series but you ended up getting a whole lot more with frankie defalco i mean the guy was uh never at a loss for words well, Frankie and I have a great rapport. We've known each other for years, like uh, best of friends. We, we were roommates for many years. We promoted wrestling shows together. So he's very comfortable, you know, speaking with me on the phone. And, you know, there's a, there's, there are um, a lot of guests like that that I'm proud to say that I have that rapport with, where uh, if you hear him on the podcasts with me, it'll be a little different than if you hear him elsewhere. And that's what I like about it, though. It's a com- it's a conversation. It's not just you uh, barraging with Thank question you. after Thank question. And that's what keeps my ears uh, glued to it because it just sucks me in. The stories get good. I mean, uh, a, a guy that you uh, worked with uh, in your very younger days and a guy I had a chance to talk with a few years ago. I had a chance to get in touch with him after news started to surface about his uh, death. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was a hoax. It was uh, D.C. Mm-hmm. Drake. When I think about Wrestling Eye. Oh, I think about those magazines. D.C. Drake. Sure. Had a chance to talk with him. Really cool guy. And at the time, he was just like, what the hell's going on? I'm not dead, people. But you had a pretty good relationship uh-huh. with, with D.C. Drake. I mean, that NWF in those days, man. And uh, seeing it in those magazines, too, really got this Minnesota guy in touch with uh, a lot of the what was going on in the East Coast with him and Larry Winters. I mean, these are names sure. that we, we didn't get to see on TV, except maybe uh, when Larry worked a few tapings for Vern at the Tropicana, but the NWF was quite a promotion. I'm getting, thank you to YouTube, been able to see some of the stuff that went down in those days and got to see the glory days of uh, DC Drake, Damian Stone and company. Well, you know, um, I'm really happy you brought up Don. Um, We go back a long ways, and uh, somebody I've always had a very good rapport with, I managed him many times uh, with my gimmick, the creator (laughs) <laughs> which is something we can get into. I've had many, um, you say gimmicks, I guess you would say. Oh yeah. Few, he, anyway, Hubie Marks. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, but, um, 
speaking with Don, uh, one thing that came out of it is that um, I invigorated him for the business again. He, he admitted it to me. He said that when he did the interview with us, that he really started talking about things and um, it made him, he was joyous, I guess you would say, um, and um, got him fired up to, um, well, to start posting things about the NWF, to start talking more about his career and so on. Um, he found that he really enjoyed that. I mean, this is a guy that's been out of the business for, you know, 20 years at least. Um, so, yeah, and I, I, I just thought that was just wonderful um, that, you know, we rekindled the, the, the spirit in him. Um, because I'll tell you, Don Drake is one of the smartest bookers I've ever met in my life. Uh, super, super intelligent guy. And, you know, when you talk about independent wrestlers and the guys, um, especially from the Northeast, I mean, these guys are the predecessors of, uh, of, uh, ECW. Oh, absolutely. And, and of course, Don Drake was a part of the early, um, Eastern championship wrestling and so on. Um, but, uh, you know, him and Larry winners, like the matches that they had, they would do stuff that you never saw out of any independent guys. I mean, I saw them come off balconies and uh, roll down the bleachers and, and do stuff that you would just <laughs> never, um, dream of, you know, I mean, things that nobody's ever seen before, you know, and just keep in mind, this is, you know, late eighties, early, real early, early nineties, 90, yeah. maybe 89, 90, 91. He, and uh, he really yeah, got the ball. Was, he got really got the ball unique. rolling. He really got the ball rolling, though, with with, yeah. with DC Drake, because those those NWF shows eventually morphed into some of those bigger uh, star studded Goodhart shows that were put out in the greater Philadelphia area, which then kind of planted even more seeds for what was Eastern Championship Wrestling. So just a very cool uh, bit of history that, again, thanks to those magazines, we really got to be a little more in touch and in tune with some of these uh, these stars that probably wouldn't have seen the light of day with after on the after magazines, maybe at the uh, back page and the uh, match results. Yeah. Well, I, I always believed in, uh, you know, trying to take care of the guys, especially the ones that were my friends, the ones that I met, the ones that I respected. And, um, you know, I was broken in the business by the cheetah kid, Ted Petty. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a few people that I consider my mentors. Um, I, I consider Teddy and also Dr. D as being the two guys that really, um, got me in. Um, and Ted Petty, the cheetah kid, I mean, we're talking about the top independent guy in the Northeast at the time. I mean, him, Tom Chippendale, Brandy, oh, yeah. King Kahlua. Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys, DC Drake, you know, and, um, you know, it was Teddy that helped me out in a lot of ways. I started managing in 86. Uh, you know, uh, really not having a clue what the hell I was doing. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was on the job training. Um, you know, nothing was written out. Nothing was, you know, um, it was uh, the training that I got was very informal in that sense. Yeah. But you, I learned from making mistakes. And when I would manage it, I mean, I'd always be working with whoever was the guy on the show i mean i worked with uh, sarge so many times you know managing kernodal as a russian against them or i managed cousin luke as a russian against sarge <laughs> i managed <laughs> I, I managed uh, uh a lot of i managed bam bam bigelow against sergeant slaughter in new jersey 
How about that? Oh, wow. In Irvington, in Irvington, New Jersey. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, so you make mistakes and you learn, you know, and like if I'm managing Dr. D and I do something that he doesn't like, I mean, he's going to tell me and I know not to do that again. <laughs> We've had David on, uh, but when his book came out here, uh, what, a year yeah. or two ago and man, what a great, we had a, just a great conversation. Man, I could just sit and listen to him tell the bounty hunter stories, but yeah, cause that was another wrestler who I saw a lot of coverage, you know, after he got the unfortunate uh, John Stossel incident, uh, he worked a lot of the Indies up in the Northwest or Northeast, pardon me. And uh, yeah, we saw a lot of him being covered in, in wrestling. I, so we never really, uh, I mean, lost sight. The true fans didn't really lose sight of uh, the good doctor while, uh, you know, of course, uh, all that crap that happened uh, with, with Stossel. Well, I, uh, I thought it was creative at the time. Uh, when I first took over Wrestling Eye magazine, and um, how this came about just quickly is that Mike Ballou, who was the editor-in-chief of the magazine. Rest in peace. Um, I, was, I was working with him. I, I just got on board. I submitted some photos. I had, uh, uh, they, they ran a, a photo I took of Roddy Piper in Elizabeth, New Jersey, as a full-color pinup. And I was just a, a senior in high school. Um, well, Mike Ballou, unfortunately, uh, passed away in a, in a car accident. Mm, yes. So the, uh, the office, the publishers, uh, didn't have anybody to run this magazine. And, um, you know, I, I was just a kid, you know, and, <laughs> and I remember that I was questioning whether or not if I should, uh, you know, go for this spot or not. And it was Ted Petty, the cheetah kid. I, I remember asking him and he said, you know, Carmine, what do you got to lose? He said, so what if you're a kid? If they want you, they want you. Go ahead. Try it. And I did. And I got it. And, you know, um, it didn't pay that much. That's for sure. But, I mean, it was fun, you know. And uh, the magazine, um, I mean, there's a lot of flaws in the magazine. I mean, I was conscious of the flaws at the time. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, a lot of the uh, problems that we had had to do with our art department who were in uh, Chinatown in New York. Um, and basically everybody, the guys that are laying out the magazine don't even, they barely speak English. Um, and oh, and they're laying out, you know, a, a wide variety of uh, porno books and everything else. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, and our magazine was printed in Hong Kong. So there's a, a, a three-month, lag there everything (laughs) so when you see when you see a wrestling eye you know it was written three months prior (laughs) so Oh, man. And one other thing I remember, too, about Wrestling Eye, uh, a couple of things here before I hand off to Mike, was it was one of the first places I got to see Paul Heyman as Paul Dangerly with the Motor City Mad Men. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. Talk a little bit about Paulie and uh, what you remember uh, around, uh, back in those days with him. Well, I, you know what? I knew him pretty well back then. I mean, we used to take photos together at the, at the ring. Um, you know, I... Uh, I met him for the first time outside of the Meadowlands for one of the pro wrestling USA shows. Um, and he was giving out flyers for an appearance with, uh, Ric Flair. I believe it was at the China club, I believe. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, I got along great with him. We, we had a, a, a great time, you know, I mean, I call him all the time and so on. And, 
you know, he also did the magazine at the same time. Um, new wave, was it new wave wrestling? I believe. Yeah. Heyman. Yeah. Well, he, he did the magazine for a while after he became a manager. He just wanted to make sure that it was, you know, kayfabe. Um, but, um, well, not anymore. It, he, he was, he was fantastic. I got along great with him. Now, see, when he first started ECW, I moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, so I, um, I found Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I, I visited there and I enjoyed the people and I said, wow, you know, there is some place I can move where there's not a lot of traffic where I can live reasonably and the people were friendly. So I left New Jersey. I mean, I, I did, uh, speak to Pauly, um, when he started ECW. In fact, what I wanted, one of the things I was looking for, uh, uh, my idea was to manage public enemy because, uh, Johnny and Teddy are both good friends of mine. And my, um, my gimmick would be, I'd be like a, a young, rich, white kid, hustler, uh, pimp, whatever you want to say, yeah. and like a gold lame suit, you know? And, uh, but unfortunately I already moved to Milwaukee and Paul, E's not flying me. So, you know, end of story there. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, before I hand off to, to Mike McCurdy, I want to talk one more about another favorite of the, of the magazines uh, and uh, someone who is just recently, in fact, as we're recording this week, uh, has gotten some newfound attention uh, thanks to a podcast. Uh, it's uh, from the, a podcast that's called The Rialto Report. And now suddenly in 2020, people are talking about Misty Blue Sims again. And when I think about those magazines, too, I think about Misty Blue Sims and her troop with Cat uh, LaRue and Lynn. Into Dallas, we lost Cat here just not too long ago. But now, isn't it crazy? In 2020, of all things to come up, the story of Misty Blue Sims—that is just something else, man. What can you remember and gather from Misty Blue Sims? I got—I I was very, very good friends with both of them. You know, if you had an independent wrestling show in the Northeast, you call uh, Misty and you book a match, and that's really the best girls' match you're going to have. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they work together all the time. And, um, you know, Linda Dallas, Cat LaRue against Misty Blue. I mean, you just can't go wrong there. Um, you know, it's, I guess it's, it's a good thing that people were talking about her. I, I'd love to see her do like a fan fest or something like that. Um, her, her husband, John is online and I've known him for years and, and through the years I've mentioned to him, I said, you know, there's money to be made out there. I mean, people will spend money on autographs and, you know, uh, selfies, whatever, you know, so maybe one day they could be convinced of it. I got to say, this could be some potential uh, for uh, a guest on your, your, your program, because I think that would be awesome if you were able to make that connection again with her and do an interview, because I think if anyone would do it properly, I think it would be probably best to have someone like you do it, who had that connection with her in the wrestling business and, and, and knew her on that, on that level. Oh, yeah, and I, I knew her really well. I managed a lot of the girls against her. I loved working with the girls, just loved it. So much fun. And, uh, oh, yeah, well, thank you for the idea. I think I'll, I'll pursue that. <laughs> no problem, man, no problem. Hey, you know, I'm going to bring in our co-host, Mike McCurdy, uh, into the conversation. We've had a good chat, but I, it's only fair to bring in the man down there in his home studio. Mr. Mike McCurdy, I know you're chomping at the bit to talk to our guest. 
Yes, our guest, Carmine Despirito on Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Well, thank you for bringing me in, man. You seem to be enjoying yourself. Oh, this is awesome. And I've been enjoying listening to the. I've been enjoying listening to the conversation. Like I said, I've had many talks with Carmine. It's Cauliflower Alley Club and all that. So, but um, one thing I'd like to ask Carmine, uh, Glenn introduced me to your your show. By the way, uh, he told me you had a YouTube show, and I'm like, well, what is it? And he told me, so I went and took a look at it. First thing I listened to was uh, the man behind Bruiser Brody, and then mm-hmm. I also listened to your uh, your Kamala tribute. And um, one thing I noticed, and you, you mentioned this when you first started getting the idea of doing the podcast and all that, you know, you said you kind of looked around at the, uh, what was going on and, you know, what other podcasts were. Um, your podcast, much like your magazine, seems to be like an alternative to what's popular now in podcasting as far as wrestling and all that goes. You know, did you listen to some of the podcasts and kind of check out some of the other stuff that's out there? when deciding what you wanted to do with contrary to popular wrestling? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, one thing about it, um, that's important. Uh, I want the podcast to be positive. I, I am not going to, we're not going to critique people. We're not going to speak negatively about people. Everything is positive. I approach it from a different perspective where a lot of the a lot of the folks that do podcasts and all due respect are wrestling fans and that's all they've been. I've, I've done a variety of different things in the business. Um, so it's a different approach. Um, I have a frame of reference when I speak to a lot of these guys and, uh, I find that to be important and I really appreciate your comment about it being a conversation because my vision for it was, you know, I, I've always been a fan of like Dick Cavett and, uh, you know, his interviews are just that a conversation as if you're, you're, you're just sitting in and listening to two guys have a, have a great conversation. And, and that's what we're looking for there. And, and we, um, I, I like it. I mean, it's not by design. It just happens to be passionate and, you know, um, you definitely feel the love of the business there when you, when you listen to it. And, uh, I don't know, I don't know how else to present it in all honesty. Uh, that's just the way that I am. I speak passionately about, about the business and the people that I care about in it. And, um, you know, one thing that I uh, also, um, was an intention of the podcast was to clear up some misconceptions. And one of the biggest misconceptions in the business is regarding the fabulous moolah. Uh, I knew, I knew her really well. And, um, you know, the, all the allegations about her being a pimp, about her pipping out the girls and, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's completely wrong. It's just, just, it didn't happen. It's made up. Penny Banner made this up years ago. Mula was very, very well aware of it. And then it gets blown up on the internet and everybody thinks they, they know what the heck they're talking about, but they don't. And, uh, but that's the truth. And, you know, there's been a campaign fight for moolah campaign, uh, fight for moolah.com. You can go to, uh, Nigel Sherrod and Bambi Selena majors have headed this up to clear up moolah's name. And Nigel has interviewed something like 30 legendary girls, uh, that work with moolah that work for moolah. And, you know, there's a lot of things you can say about moolah. But one thing she wasn't was a pimp. 
And, uh, you know, to say that she was a pimp would say that the girls are prostitutes. And that's not the truth at all. So, yeah, with the podcast, we can have some fun with that and uh, that, that type of thing. Cle- clear up some misconceptions. And, and also, you know, I got the opportunity to tell some fun stories that I've got in the back of my head. Now, when you're, uh, when you're looking at some of the other stuff that's out there, what's your take kind of on the podcast scene right now? Because, you know, a few years back, you know, your, your major ones were like Austin, uh, Rick Flair. Well, Rick Flair's had a couple of different ones. Um, sure. and, but now you've got, you know, Conrad's network of shows, which personally, you know, next year's, uh, those are my favorite ones to listen to now. I, I listen to a lot of his, cause like you said, his are also like a conversation. It's him and JR and I'm talking about those stuff, the stuff I grew up on. And I really enjoy that. But, uh, it seems like everybody with a microphone and a computer can do a podcast now. Um, just kind of what, what was your take on it when you first started looking at the scene and all that? What's your opinion on, uh, you know, is there too much, do you think? Well, I mean, I've always listened to Jim Cornette. I mean, uh, I, I love him. I mean, there's nobody better. He's the king, period, you know. I mean, uh, he has completely cornered the market, in, in, in my opinion. Um, I mean, the, the uh, Austin is great, always entertaining, you know. Uh, JR. Um, I mean, there's some really good podcasts out there done by some name uh, people, some recognizable, uh, stars out there. And of course, I mean, just like anything else, uh, in wrestling, you do need to have some alternatives and, uh, the alternatives need to be different. And, um, whether it's by design or not, uh, I'm proud to say that we do deliver a different type of podcast. I know I've enjoyed, like I said, I've listened to the two episodes. I'm going to listen to the Moolah one. I've all, I'm, I'm interested oh, in wait till you hear how I, how I, how I change wrestling history. It's a good one. I change wrestling right. history. I could spoil it for I'm you. I'm going to take a listen to this. Okay. Well, okay. I did. <laughs> I, will, I will make sure to take a listen to it. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, contrary to popular wrestling, Glenn, you were talking about Wrestling Eye Magazine, and you mentioned, you know, a lot of stuff with fans. You obviously, you know, started off as a fan. How did you, when did you first like get involved? When did you first start watching wrestling? I always like to ask this question. What about it got your attention and what about it made you go, wow, I want to be part of this? 1979, 1980, I was uh, oh, 10 years old and my dad tried to get me interested in baseball. Took me to some Yankee games. We watched some Yankee games on TV. And although I enjoyed it, eh, I didn't really connect to it a whole lot. Uh, my dad also liked wrestling and, uh, we started watching wrestling and that was something that I could understand. And, uh, it it was something that, um, I just found to be really, really entertaining. Um, I got some great memories of going to some, to going to shows with my dad, taking me to my first wrestling show was in 1980 at Asbury park convention hall. Um, just before the Shea Stadium uh, show, and it was uh, it was like Backland against Afa, it was Sika against Pedro. Uh, oh, and I'll never forget Pat Patterson against uh, George Animal Steel. And when George Steel ran down, came down the aisle, he just rushed towards the barricades, and all of us kids just took off in every direction. <laughs> But 
being a wrestling fan back in that era was uh, so much fun. I mean, it, it was so innocent too. Um, you know, that's one thing I, I like to say a lot about the days of yore, so to speak, in wrestling. It was so innocent. I mean, we didn't know. I mean, there's the only way we got our news was going like I went down to the corner deli and picked up, you know, the uh, magazines, Inside Wrestling, The Wrestler, The Main Event, Wrestling World, so on and so forth. That's where we got our wrestling news from. You know, there was no internet, of course, and there was no inter- no newsletters to speak of. I mean, unless you, there were a few out there at the time, like Tom Burke did one and a few other people. But if, if you weren't in the know, you had no idea how to get a, a newsletter. And uh, if anything, you hear about rumors and so on hanging out like uh, before the shows, like uh, Asbury Park Convention Hall, my dad would drop me off there at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'd sit there in the parking lot and wait for the guys to show up and, uh, you know, take their picture or have them sign something or whatever. Um, And being around those other fans is how you exchange rumors and, and so on, you know. So it was a much more innocent time. Um, I remember at the Philadelphia Spectrum, right after Backlund did the angle with uh, Sarge, and um, where Sarge whipped them with the writing crop, and we're standing in the uh, in the parking lot. I'll never forget this little black kid going to Backlund. He said, "Oh, that wrestling's fake. Wasn't that that was that was fake when 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 you got whipped on TV?" And uh, in the middle of the parking lot, Backlund put his Howell Burton down and took his shirt off and showed all of us kids the welts on his chest and his back. Oh, my God. It's something I'll never, ever forget for the rest of my life. I mean, uh, he he shut that kid up quick. (laughs) So I had so many great experiences. We used to go to the Spectrum all the time. Um, And, uh, you know, growing up, I had a, a great experience as a fan. And actually, I'm so grateful that I had that experience as a fan because it's impossible to experience it that way today or ever again. Right, I have to agree with you. Um, kind of an offside thing here. One of the things, one of the you, you mentioned the backlund thing. One of the memories I always have is, uh, you know, I was like 16 before then. You know, I saw you know wrestling on TV and all that. But WWF came to uh, my hometown where I grew up, and they were doing a show at the fairgrounds. It's it, in, in the cow palace, they call it. It was basically a cow barn. This is back in the mid-'80s, you know, when WWF ran shows like that. And me and my friends are standing in line to go into the building, and a car comes by, and the car bumped into my hip because we were standing, you know, right there by the side. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, a few minutes later, I'm saying I talk to my friend, and she gets this, like, scared look on her face. I'm like, what? And she points behind her, or behind me, and I turn around and look, and I'm, like, staring at this guy's chest. And I'm like, well, who the – I looked up. It was the one-man gang. He was the one driving. He was the one that was driving the car, and he had bumped me by accident. And he had his hood on and everything, but you could still see by the face and the glasses. And he come out and he puts his hand on my shoulder and goes, "Hey man, I just want to make sure you're okay." I said, "Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm fine." I mean, I'm like 15 years old. Like I'm, 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 I'm you know, it's the one man game. What I saw on TV was just brutal. And then he left, and I'm like, "Whoa!" And that tripped me out. But it was it was so much fun. And then when I started, you know, getting into the magazines and reading more of the stuff and all that and started finding out about, you know, the news and that and getting to see kind of a little bit more of it besides what I saw on TV, that's really what hooked me. 
was that incident and then finding out more about just not just what you see on TV and finding out that, you know, there is an element. It's not all, you know, cartoon and stage. So that's always been my story. Well, yeah. I mean, but, uh, uh, to see the guys yeah. up, up close and personal uh, completely changed it for a lot of us at the time. Today, that wouldn't have an impact on a fan, I don't think, you know, to, to run into somebody like that, to have that situation that you just described, you know. So we were fortunate, you know, to come up in a time like that, not to overuse uh, the word, but, you know, it was a very innocent time. Well, definitely. Like I said, it's 15 years old, you know, and I'm, I'm stammering because I was like, oh, my God, why do you want to talk to me? What did I do? And now he's apologizing to me. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. Um, <laughs> and just to, and just to remember, you know, um, uh, for example, Saturday night, six Oh five, uh, my buddy and I, my buddy Larry from high school would come over. We'd order a pizza every single Saturday and watch it at six Oh five. If you missed it, you missed it. You're never going to see it again, ever. If something happens, if you, anything happens, you know, you're, if you somehow the, the reception or the cable goes out or whatever, you're never going to see it again. We had no idea where to even get a, I didn't even have a VCR back in, I didn't have a VCR until 1986. So, you know, and not many of my friends did either. So either you saw it as existentially and experienced it in that way at the time, or you didn't at all. And you had no way to rewind stuff to watch it again or anything like that. It was a completely different world. And, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't really realize that. Um, but, you know, it's so, it was so much different back then for us. Well, see, I kind of follow that way now, though. You know, I'm, I'm still kind of the old school way. If I have a chance, I'll watch AEW at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. Or I'll watch uh, the pay-per-view live as it's happening. I don't want to go back and watch the replay. I want to see it as it happens because I still get a thrill out of watching it, you know, as it's going on. You know, the idea of getting to watch it on a replay after it's already played out, everybody's already seen it, you might have seen the result. I still don't like that. Right. I feel kind of bummed out if I miss the show. I still want to watch it live. You know, and this right. is in the DVR and replays and the network and everything else. But I, you know, there's got to be something said for the old ways. I used to uh, take a little black and white TV set that I could plug into the uh, car lighter in my mom's car. And on Saturday morning, we'd go to garage sales and I would watch the wrestling and <laughs> watch WWF in the car. <laughs> so you had to go to a great extent. Because if you missed it, you missed it. You're never going to see. The only thing you can do is call your buddy and ask uh, and ask him what happened. That's that's it. So exactly. You know, we're talking about contrary to popular wrestling. We talk about wrestling eye. Uh, we talk about our wrestling viewing habits. You know, we have not touched on Mid American Wrestling, which was you know your group. And you mentioned just a couple of the names that you know came out of there. Adam Pierce, CM Punk started on there. You know, let's talk a little bit about the history of that and, you know, kind of let our listeners know just, you know, some of the names that came out of that and, you know, just kind of a little bit of the history of Mid-American. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, I left New Jersey in 1992 after my mother passed away, and I just needed a new uh, atmosphere. And uh, after visiting Milwaukee um, and meeting the guys there and so on, uh, I just fell in love with the town. And... Um, I wanted to run shows. I, I knew that. I did some shows in New Jersey, uh, promoted uh, a few of them, 
promoted with my good friend Jonathan Peter Gold. Um, and uh, so when I, I visited Milwaukee, I said, well, this is just an open market here. Um, the only one running shows at the time was Tom Rocky Stone. He ran sporadically. Um, and my idea was to run a regular show. Um, the first show that I had was Jake the Milkman Milliman against Frankie the Thumper to Falco in the main event. I said, I felt, well, what local guys do I have that have any type of name recognition? And uh, Frankie, for example, uh, you can't, you, it's still to this day, you can't go anywhere without people knowing them. It's just incredible. Um, I mean, if, if, if we walk through Festa Italiana, uh, which is a big uh, Italian uh, feast in Milwaukee, um, you know, I mean, he stops every few minutes. You know, hey, Frankie, hey, how's it going? Hey, Frankie. So I immediately said to myself, well, this is my top guy. This is who I, you know, uh, want to have on my shows. And Frankie was a hell of a worker at the time. And, uh, you know, he got behind what we were doing. We were uh, partners at first and uh, in Mid-American Wrestling. Um, on the second show, I promoted the return of Baron Von Raschke, uh, who hasn't wrestled in the uh, area, um, I mean, at the time, for years. Uh, so I promoted the big return of the Baron against the legendary Dr. X, but not Dick Byer, Tom Rocky Stone. <laughs> and I did what no other promoter did at the time, and I ran commercials during Monday Night Raw. And we drew the biggest house for any independent show in Milwaukee at the time. We drew 600. And, um, you know, and I really uh, took to all these guys in the Midwest. Things were different in the Midwest. The, different, the business was different. Uh, the mentality was different. Uh, the Midwest stressed a lot of psychology psychology that was handed down uh, to Tom Stone and others from Vern Gagne's uh, AWA, essentially, um, psychology and how to work a match. And um, for me, it was a great learning experience. Although I was promoting, believe you me, I was still learning. And uh, that was 93. And, you know, I promoted through till um, 2017. And uh, I'm fortunate to say that, you know, a lot of young guys that went on to become stars had some of their first matches with me. You know, I don't take any credit for their success whatsoever, believe you me. But I am very proud to say that, you know, that these guys work for me. And, you know, Punk was our champion for a year and a half. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the guys started with us. Uh, Ken Anderson uh, in fact, I met Ken Anderson before he was even trained um, at, a uh, at a WWE event in Milwaukee. It was before TV taping. And uh, Andy Seelan, who also wrestled as Dino Bambino, I gave him that name, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he said, I want to introduce you to this, to this young kid that's going to start training. And it was Ken Anderson. <laughs> So I've got a lot of fun little cute little stories like that, you know, and I, I met these guys when they were just kids, you know, and to see them, how they progress and the stars they've become and so on, you know, is just incredible. 
All right, Glenn. <clears throat> Excuse me. Glenn, I'm going to pass the microphone over to you for the last couple questions before we wrap this up today. All right. Well, we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, and uh, I want to thank uh, Carmine uh, for taking time out of your schedule uh, for, for chatting with us uh, and, and helping to uh, create more awareness about your programming, a program contrary to popular wrestling. Now, originally, I watched it on YouTube. Now, have you made the switch now to, to actually having it in podcast form and uh, various places uh, picking it up? Oh, it's on every. Uh, platform you can possibly think of. We're on iTunes and Podbean and oh yeah, we're on all of them. That is so great. They're on Spotify, that's where I get them. And uh, well, before we get going, I mean, another thing that uh, you, you're you, you really, really are a part, big part of, and you attend the events. Uh, you and Mike have chatted at these various events. Is the Cauliflower Alley Club now CAC this year? Of course, uh, due to a, a lot of other things, uh, due to the COVID nineteen, had to had to postpone until twenty twenty one. Just, I mean, your history with Cauliflower Alley goes back uh, way before the, the Vegas stuff. I just want to talk a little bit about uh, before we go your connection to the Cauliflower Alley and how long it's the, this connection has been and. Uh, just uh, what it means to you. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I um, got together with the Cauliflower Alley of 1991. My first uh, banquet was at the Sportsman's Lodge in Studio City. Um, And in order to go to the banquet, you needed to be referred. You needed two references to show that you were in the business. And what they used to do is that they would announce the, I guess you would say, the luminaries that were at the banquet. And I was sitting at the same table with Mitzi Hyatt and Jason Hervey. And uh, not that I know them, but just by chance I was sitting at the table with them. And uh, when they announced everybody, they didn't announce Jason. (laughs) he He was a little irked. And I was surprised that they announced me. Um, Very surprised at the time. Um, But see, the Cauliflower Alley was a different animal back then as well. Now it's more, you know, it's, it's open to everybody. Absolutely. And of course, I know you'll be ready to go when 2020, 2021 rolls around after we get out of this awful 2020. And hopefully uh, there'll be a, a Cauliflower Alley uh, reunion out there in Las Vegas at the Gold Coast. It's uh, just seems a, a little odd this year. But again, there's been so many, a whole lot of odd, I guess, going on for 2020. I want to thank you, Carmine, for uh, taking some, again, taking some time out and uh, love to have you on sometime uh, in the near future. But until then, I'm going to be listening. Mike and I are going to be listening to contrary to popular wrestling so thank you so much for taking some time out of your day my friend hey guys thank you so much for having me on i really do appreciate it i appreciate what you guys are doing and i'll certainly uh do what i can to spread the word for your podcast i mean that's the uh, i think that the, the us folks that are in the independent uh podcast game need to stick together absolutely and that's a good note to end on for Carmine, the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories Then and Now.